before it is necessary that temptation come. I like to think of it this way. Temptation is our test, but passing the test is not submitting to the temptation and further not being a vessel to cast the temptation upon another. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. It's Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Welcome to the Discipleship Conditioning Podcast. We're excited that you're here. Uh, I'm doing good, doing really good. I am really happy at this point in time with everything that we have going on. Uh, Tires are kicking, things are heading in the right direction. Got a bevy of tools available at our disposal to connect and serve, and things are fantastic. So I thank you for the prayers over the uh, most recent weeks, months, to all that have supported us thank you. I am your servant host, Daniel Miller. I am so thankful to be with you. Today is chapter 18 in the book of Matthew. Let's dive in. Starting with Matthew 18 verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them, He put him in the midst of him, excuse me, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now this is something that I'm thinking of just on the fly here as I look at my notes, is if we recall back um, in reference to John the Baptist being essentially the greatest man on earth, but nothing in comparison to that of heaven. What an immense compliment to children everywhere and the faith of children to be stated in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's a comparison that I hadn't thought about until I just read this to you. The verse that I'd like to focus on in my notes, however, is who is the greatest? What a masculine thing to say. Now, I'm not saying that no woman has ever said that, um, but what an adult masculine thing to say. Like, well, who ranks higher? You know, if you're in the military, who has the most stripes on their sleeve? If we're in business, who has the fanciest title? CEO, CFO. If it's entrepreneurship, who has the most money in their bank, who has the most subscribers in the world of influencers, what a human thing to say. Where is our humility? Whoever humbles himself like this child, 
first of all, what a moment that must have been for that child to have Jesus bring him in in the midst of the disciples. I think back to my childhood, and, and I'd like you to for a moment as well. If you think back to how we used to admire things and believe in things, you know, we think of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, and those are ridiculous. But many of us grew up in homes that that was a belief for a period of time. And for some of us, remember how crushed we were when we found out any differently because we believed with every fiber of our being. And another aspect of of speaking with you today that I hadn't planned on going down this rabbit hole, if you will, which I suppose is kind of funny since I just said the Easter Bunny. Um, the The things that we will believe in and then be told are false. What does that do in the long haul to our faith? Does that is that the first seed of doubt that is planted? Just a thought to ponder. With our children, we don't promote that. We certainly don't promote the Easter Bunny. And we don't promote Santa as well. And whether that's right or wrong, we feel it's right to not promote that because we see the harm that planting that seed and then further demolishing it and planting a seed of doubt what that can manifest to later in life when it comes to our faith faith of a child we're going to talk a lot about forgiveness in this chapter we're going to talk a lot about having humility in the faith of a child So just some things to think about. In Matthew 18, verse 7, it reads, Woe to the world for temptation to sin. For it is necessary that temptation come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. First off, wow. For it is necessary that temptation come. I like to think of it this way. Temptation is our test, but passing the test is not submitting to the temptation and further not being a vessel to cast the temptation upon another. I think of trauma like this in a lot of ways. One person has trauma inflicted upon them and oftentimes they inflict trauma upon someone else. And oftentimes that person who has trauma inflicted upon them is more or less a pure child, a sinless individual. And that's a perpetuation of sin, that we continue to receive sin, but then we continue to further blast it out into the atmosphere, if you will. It's one of the hardest things in my life to forgive, in correspondence with the title of today's podcast episode, to forgive and not continue to cast that sin and that temptation to others. In Matthew 18, 13, we read, And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. This is in reference to the hundred sheep and the one that is lost. It reminds me of the prodigal son. If you're familiar with that story, uh, it's in Luke. It's a parable of a father 
two sons, one that remains at home, remains faithful, stays close to his father and continues to uh, submit and do as he's supposed to. The other asks for his inheritance, leaves, basically goes to the most sinful of places, spends all the inheritance that he received, parties it up and just lives a total wretched life. Then gets to the point where he is so hungry that he is literally eating slop mint for pigs and thinks to himself, servants at my father's house have it better than I do right now and humbles himself and walks back with his tail tucked between his legs, figure of speech, and says to his father, I do not deserve to be here, but if you'll accept me as a servant, I will live the rest of my days in that servanthood uh, because it's better than what I've experienced out there. And the father rejoices and has an immense celebration for his son that has returned home. So when I think about the one sheep that is lost but then found, I think about how wonderful it is when someone is lost but then found. How wonderful it is when someone decides to veer from darkness and dedicate their, their life the rest of their days to following Jesus Christ. Matthew 18, 15 through 18 reads, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the first part is when you're going directly to the individual, tell him his fault. I think that a lot of us avoid this because we're scared of confrontation. And there's doubt that we have a log in our eye, which brings up Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. For me, this is a section of scripture that kept me from this section of scripture that we're talking about today. I'd say I'm a wretched individual. I'd still say I'm a wretched individual. I would say, who am I to call out someone else for their imperfections when I'm as wrong as I am? But as I continue to mature and I gain knowledge in this area, in a very uncomfortable area, uh, might I add, and I'll kind of elaborate to that a little bit later based on how I was raised and why that's uncomfortable. There's a lot of things that are uncomfortable in here based on how I was raised particularly staying out of other people's business. But here we see that we're clearly talking about brothers and sisters. So these are individuals that have turned their life over to God. Okay, These aren't just fleshly brothers and sisters. They aren't people of this world. Those people are held to a different standard, really no standard at all, uh, as far as I'm concerned and my understanding of it all. But here we see that I recognize the behavior that my brother is committing is sin, that is not sin in my life. I do not experience that sin. And so there is no log to remove from my own eye. And so I, 
faithfully in a servantly fashion go to my brother, point this out in hopes that he will change. It says, gained your brother, your lost sheep. God's lost sheep was then found. And we hope that if a person falls into this, this is all that it takes is a one-on-one brother to brother, sister to sister discussion. But if it doesn't take one or two, this period shows evidence for fault. We're collaborating with brothers and sisters in the church, two or three, to verify that they are reading scripture the same way that you are and that they are verifying that what this other brother or sister is participating in is contradictory to what the Bible tells us to do. And this shows love in pursuit. If we didn't care, we would just let them go, right? And the way I was raised, it's the opposite, right? You you respect people's business, you leave them alone, and you show love somehow by not communicating with them. And it sounds silly to say that out loud, but that was really big in my family, and that's how I grew up. So as I read through these, it's not as uncomfortable today. It still is a little bit, but it was much more uncomfortable even just a few years ago reading this section of Scripture. But I now see the love in pursuit. Perhaps I don't like confrontation. You probably don't either. Perhaps I was using the way I was raised as an excuse to not have to confront someone. But I now very much so see the benefit in uh, confronting someone based on the reconciliation, which leads us to tell it to the church. This is the period for prayer that you bring the body of the church together and you pray for reconciliation uh, as the whole church body because that person, brother or sister, is a member of the church body. You want to reconcile the church body. If that doesn't occur, then they are treated as a Gentile and a tax collector, which we've stated before. There is no standard for them at that point. They are conforming to the ways of the world. And at that point, uh, we still pray for them. We still hope that they will rejoin the church body. But everyone is given free will. Everyone is given their own decision. And at that point in time, the Bible commands us to let them go. So that would be the first and only point in which the way that I was raised would then be applicable. You stop pursuing, you let them go. Doesn't mean you don't stop praying. Doesn't mean you don't stop loving as we're going to find out. And also as we're going to find out here. It doesn't mean that you don't stop forgiving or providing that opportunity for forgiveness. As we led with in the beginning of the episode, Matthew 18, 21 through 22, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. We are called to forgive. We're never above our brothers and sisters. And we must maintain that humility in the faith of a child to continue to forgive. How human is it for us to have someone ask forgiveness for us and us to not recognize it, to say, nope, not valid here. This is clearly telling us to do different. In Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35, a long section of scripture here to conclude this chapter. 
Uh, for the most part, I'm going to let this section of scripture sit on its own because any section of scripture is far better at stating what needs to be stated than I am. And uh, I'd like for you to marinate on this section here. So Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy, have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to you, will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That last part there, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, is a good recap of what we've discussed. Recall that in Matthew 18, 3 through 4, we talked about having faith of a child, having humility in that. And then in Matthew 18, 22, we talked about forgiveness of your brother. Please visit us at biblicalanatomy.com. Correspond with us through the emails included in the show notes. We love to hear your prayer requests and the like. Tips and referrals are a wonderful part of having a podcast. If you'd like to show support in a monetary way, please provide. If you'd like to show support in a referral sort of way, please provide a review. We would appreciate those greatly. It helps us keep kicking the tires. Five questions for you that I would love for you to answer and us to correspond with. How did you find our content? I'm curious. What app do you listen to podcasts through? And how did you find our podcast that then brought you to that app? What do you like about the content? What do you dislike about the content? What is your biggest struggle right now? And how can I and we, the Miller family, best serve you in this moment in time? 
answer these questions, and I would love to have a virtual coffee with you. Let's do it. Let's set up a time, email me, and I will set up a uh, sessions link to video chat platform, and I'll pour me some coffee. Got some right here. I'll pour some more for next time. I need to pour some more today. I'm basically out. Um, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about these things, talk about how you're doing, how we can serve you, and talk about life in general. Very easy to set up. Once we communicate through email, it's a quick link that I send you, and we're off and running and enjoying some coffee together. Our take-home message is how do we remain accountable to Scripture humbly like that of a child, hold others accountable while providing unlimited forgiveness to our brothers and sisters? Let's conclude, as we always do, with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.